I want you to know that I feel very much at home when I come to this place. Two interims, can you believe that? Years ago, two interims as your interim pastor. And I look out here and see you today and thank God for you. I appreciate Jeff and everything he did to make this service what it is. That's never an accident. You have to plan that, work that out. I love the work you did a few minutes ago. I love whoever did this picture here at the front of Thanksgiving. It's all a part of who we are and whom we worship. You know, with me these past few days, I've come to my sermon today out of what's happening in our world. I heard a lot about Halloween, and then I've heard a lot about Black Friday, and I'm already hearing about Christmas. But somehow Thanksgiving gets lost in the study, and that's a tragedy, because Thanksgiving is the response that we make to God for all his blessings and all of his presence in our service of worship. Many of you have said a lot to me about the length of my sermons. I want to help you with that. I was on television, and you know what you say on television goes out to everybody all over the world. And you have 30 minutes, and you pay a lot of money for that. Well... Three minutes of that is the intro and outro that the station puts to the message. You've been listening today to Dr. Jerry Gunnell, pastor of Spring Hill Baptist Church here in Mobile. Well, when you take that away and the choir sings, the choir always did the special, and what they had left was what I had to preach from. Well... My congregation loved it. I mean, they, they would give me their watch to do anything they wanted. They thought that was the greatest part of the service. When you think about that, think of what happened here this morning. All the little ones in the children's service. That's a sign of growth, people. Be grateful for that. The music that was prepared for the service. The spirit you feel when you come to worship. All of that is who we are. Now I chose, it wasn't an accident, I chose to read my text. It comes from 1 Thessalonians. And if you would and you have your Bible, open it with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Or listen to what I'm going to read beginning with verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, 
Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always tries to be kind to each other and to everyone else. In verse 16, now these are all imperatives in the Greek language. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When you think of that, these are not merely tasks to be performed. They're really challenges to be accepted because every one of them strengthen you and strengthen the church. I did some study for this sermon, particularly, and I want to be significant to you in it. I've chosen these admonitions from the pen of Paul because they're part of our heritage and part of our biblical learning. Paul goes so far as to say, and I want you to think about this, that the sin of ingratitude is a characteristic of the last days. This is the quote for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. I don't know whether you thank God yet for who you are and where you live and the job you have and the mate you live with and the children that you've given to this world. But when I think about that, I did this study. If you have decent clothes to wear, ample food to eat, and live in a home that shields you from the weather, and own some reliable form of transportation, you're in the top 15% of the world's wealthy. In addition, if you have some savings, a hobby you enjoy and can afford, and own two cars in any condition, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealthy. Consider this today. More than 1.1 billion people live on less than the equivalent of $1 a day in this world. There are 500 million people that are hungry and another 500 million so poor they can't get enough food to be productive. Every day, 75,000 people die, many of them children, because of dirty drinking water, disease, and malnutrition. We are richer, healthier, better fed, better housed, better clothed, better educated than any other generation in human history. We ought to be thankful. I, I think of the country's first Thanksgiving and every little child from school tell you about Squanto the Indian 
and how the Indians helped the pilgrims, they'd had a disastrous first winter. But he brought them together, and according to what I read in history, they had turkey and venison for their Thanksgiving observance. Have you ever been to a country that didn't have Thanksgiving? I was in uh, the Caribbean preaching to Baptist missionaries, and I noticed it was Thanksgiving. They always brought all the missionaries together for a meeting, and the board produced a speaker for them because the only preachers they ever hear are their own right there where they are. But the thing I noticed, everybody forgot about Thanksgiving. They didn't know anything about Thanksgiving. Nobody had any turkey. Nobody knew what dressing was. It was a strange thing to feel that you were where a place had no Thanksgiving. What's going to happen this weekend? Well, turkeys will die by the millions. Most of us will overeat. Some of us will snore before the television sets as the gridiron gods play their game on AstroTurf. But the real tragedy is most Americans will not offer one prayer to God for his blessings. That is a tragedy. And that is the background of this sermon. You think it must hurt God as he looks down on us and thinks how he's blessed us. And we don't seem to show any appreciation for what he's done. Now, I've been blessed uh, with a long life. My grandfather died at 65. My father died at 70. My mother died at 75. I'm the oldest person that I know of in my family that's ever lived to be 90. That's a gift. Every day you live is a gift. And I thank God for it. The literal translation, you know how I love to do that, is make it a habit to be thankful for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. I want to give you a little salient advice. Thank God for the pleasurable things in your life. Your family, your children, your mind, your health, your job, your church. The very constancy of these things ought to remind us of how blessed we are. And thank God also for the painful things. We don't often realize it, but you know we're more thankful when we're in trouble than we are when we're all right. Isn't that strange? Paul never mentioned any of the problems in his life. Well, there was one exception. He talked about his thorn in the flesh in 1 Corinthians, but that's the only time. 
He was whipped, put in jail in Philippi. He was smuggled out of Berea, chased out of Thessalonica, shipwrecked in the Mediterranean Sea, and gave his very life for what he preached. And still he was thankful. Now, this expresses obedience, thanks does. Obedience to God. We should do what God says in his word because it's God's word. It's not any book. It's a very special book. We not only preach from it, we seek to live like it. And the early Christians were very thankful. What's in you is more important than what happens to you in this world. This past week, my wife and I called a, a young lady to encourage her. When her daughter was a student at the University of Southern Mississippi as a freshman, I got a call one night at midnight from this little girl's daddy. He said, Jerry, you gotta pray for us, man. We're in real trouble. My little girl, they tell me, is extremely sick. And she died that night, their only child. A year ago, I stood at the graveside of that man. He had died with cancer. Rosemary and I had been in the home. He had oxygen across the floor going to his nose so he could breathe. And would you believe that his wife now has cancer? What else could happen to that girl? Well, I want to tell you something. She is a living epistle of God's goodness and grace, not one gripe. And she told us on the phone this week, you know, my Sunday school class is really now all my friends and preacher, they're keeping up with me. I said, thank God. And I also wondered in my mind, how many people in this church may need some encouragement because of what they're going through. How many people in the nursing home that are members of this church even get a phone call a week? To be thankful means to be expressive. Life isn't fair, never has been. I don't care what these false preachers tell you about bring your tithe to that church and you'll always have more money and you'll never have a problem. That's not the truth. Think of every apostle, what they lived through, how they died. And for all that matters, think of the Lord Jesus who gave his very life for us. It wasn't easy. 
He wasn't a piece of cake. There's a tendency to gripe and to groan. I read this from John Dryden. Happy is the man, and happy he alone. He who can call today his own. He so secure within can say, Tomorrow do thy worst, for I have lived today. Think about the things that worry you. Two things, yesterday and tomorrow. You can't do a thing about yesterday. It's gone. It's over. It's not coming back. And most of the things you worry about tomorrow never happen. But still you worry about them. You don't need to do that. You need to trust the Lord. You need to express your thanksgiving. Many of you don't know that when I was in graduate school the second time over the University of Southern Mississippi, they asked me to teach. And I always gave them an assignment, always. And I tested them. And they said, well, what if we're sick or what if we're absent? I said, don't worry about that. I throw out the 10 lowest grades you have. But I knew if they studied day by day, they would learn and they would be happy. So I want to give you an assignment. This would be your homework. Thank God for those serving around the world today to protect you. Many of you know I'm a veteran and I think a lot about those people serving on foreign soil. My wife has a grandson, graduate of the academy. He's out in a swamp, parachuted in there yesterday, part of his training to serve you, to serve the Lord, to keep you safe. Several years ago, Rosemary and I went to Normandy. She'd been before. I'd never been there. But I stood on that beach and saw those pillboxes up there where Germans had 50 caliber machine guns constantly strafing that shore and that beachhead. We had 10,000 casualties, 4,000 deaths, that day on that beach. And those boys belonged to somebody's family. And they didn't make it home. Well, I want you to know there are boys out there today that are prepared to give their life for you. Have you thought about that? Have you ever thanked them for what they're doing? I want you to think about that and do that today. Have you ever thanked God for bringing you into this world in this country? 
I've been blessed, as you know, to preach in 37 countries as president of the Home Mission Board, Foreign Mission Board. And I've seen life in those countries. And I realized how blessed I was to grow up in Shreveport, Louisiana. I was blessed to have godly parents. We talk about a drug problem. I had one. They drug me to church every time the doors open. And I thank God now so much for that truth. I never go to bed that I don't see the picture of my mother and my father and wish I could tell them again how grateful I am for what they did for me. Now, some of you still have a mother and a father, and part of your work today will be to thank them. Thank them for their love and their care and their concern for you. Thank God, too, for his unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ, who not only gives you a great life now, but eternal life with him forever as a gift. He gave it to you, not death. And what we learned as a child in Sunday school and training union, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, listen, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I wonder too, as I sat here today and heard the choir and saw the worship, and saw you come in and take your seat. How many of you have thanked God for this great church? How many years has it stood in this town, on this ground, and preached the truth of God's word? And you've heard the music like the music of heaven. Don't take that for granted. You don't find that everywhere. You ought to thank God. We're the most well-educated, well-clothed, well-sheltered, happy people on the face of the earth. That is no accident. Join me in thanking God. Let's pray. Father, we do lift up our hearts to you in thanksgiving and prayer as honestly as we know how to do it. We are not really worthy of your blessings, but we've been blessed beyond words, dear Lord, and we thank you for it, for our friends, for our family, for our children, for those who protect us, for this great nation. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. In a few moments you're gonna be singing an invitation hymn.
It, you may not know that, but uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus was written by Bo and Dick Baker while I was a student preacher at Baylor University. And Baylor sent out these young preacher boys all over the country. Man, I preached in Spokane, Washington, and St. Louis, Missouri, all over Texas and Mississippi. And we used that hymn as the closing hymn of every revival service. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It will. Let's stand together and sing joyously. 